This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Seven Little Australians by Ethel Turner. Chapter 21 When the Sun Went Down. Such a sunset! Down at the foot of the grass hill there was a flame coloured sky, with purple soft clouds massed in banks high up where the dying glory met the paling blue. The belt of trees had grown black and stretched sombre, motionless arms against the orange background. All the wind had died and the air hung hot and still, freighted with the strange silence of the bush. And at the top of the hill, just within the doorway of the little brown hut, her wide eyes on the wonderful heavens, Judy lay dying. She was very quiet now, though she had been talking, talking of all sorts of things. She told them she had no pain at all. Only I shall die when they move me she said. Meg was sitting in a little heap on the floor beside her. She had never moved her eyes from the face on the pillow of Mackintosh's. She had never opened her white lips to say one word. Outside the bullocks stood motionless against the sky. Judy said they looked like stuffed ones having their portrait taken. She smiled the least little bit, but Meg said, Don't, and writhed. Two of the men had gone on superfluous errands for help. The others stood some distance away, talking in subdued voices. There was nothing for them to do. The brown man had been talking, a rare thing for him. He had soothed the general off to sleep and laid him in the bunk with the blue blanket tucked around him, and he had made a billy of hot strong tea and asked the children, with tears in his eyes, to drink some, but none of them would. Baby had fallen to sleep on the floor, her arms clasped tightly around Judy's lace-up boot. Bunty was standing with a stunned look on his white face behind the stretcher. His eyes were on his sister's hair, but he did not let them wander to her face for fear of what he should see there. Nellie was moving all the time, now to the fence to strain her eyes down the road where the evening shadows lay heavily, now to fling herself face downward behind the hut and say, "'Make her better, God! God, make her better! Make her better! Oh, can't you make her better!' Greyer grew the shadows round the little hut. The bullock's outlines had faded, and only an indistinct mass of soft black loomed across the light. Behind the trees the fire was going out. Here and there were yellow vivid streaks yet, but the flaming sun-edge had dipped beyond the world, and the purple delicate veil was dropping down. A curlew's note broke the silence, wild, mournful, unearthly. Meg shivered and sat up straight. Judy's brow grew damp. Her eyes dilated, her lips trembled. Meg, she said in a whisper that cut the air. Oh, Meg, I'm frightened. Meg, I'm so frightened. God, said Meg's heart. Meg, say something. Meg, help me. Look at the dark, Meg. Meg, I can't die. Oh, why don't they be quick? Nellie flew to the fence again, then to say... Make her better, God. Oh, please, God. Meg, I can't think of anything to say. Can't you say something, Meg? Aren't there prayers about the dying in the prayer book? I forget. Say something, Meg. Meg's lips moved, but her tongue uttered no word. Meg, I'm so frightened. I can't think of anything but for what we are about to receive. And that's grace, isn't it? And there's nothing in our Father that would do either. Meg, I wish we'd gone to Sunday school and learnt things. Look at the dark, Meg. Oh, Meg, hold my hands. Heaven won't be dark, Meg's lips said. 
Even when speech came, it was only a halting, stereotyped phrase that fell from them. If it's all gold and diamonds, I don't want to go. The child was crying now. Oh, Meg, I want to be alive. How'd you like to die, Meg, when you're only thirteen? Think how lonely I'll be without you all. Oh, Meg, oh, Pip, Pip, oh, baby, Nell. The tears streamed down her cheeks. Her chest rose and fell. Oh, say something, Meg, hymns, anything. Half the book of hymns ancient and modern danced across Meg's brain. Which one could she think of that would bring quiet into those feverish eyes that were fastened on her face with such a frightening, imploring look? Then she opened her lips. Come unto me, ye weary, and I will give you rest. Oh, but I'm not weary. I don't want to rest, Judy said in a fretful tone. Again Meg tried. My God, my Father, while I stray, far from my home on life's rough way, oh, teach me from my heart to say, Thy will be done. That's for old people, said the little tired voice. He won't expect me to say it. Then Meg remembered the most beautiful hymn in the world, and said the first and last verses without a break in her voice. Abide with me. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, Abide with me. Oh, and Judy dear, we are forgetting there's mother, Judy dear. You won't be lonely. Can't you remember mother's eyes, little Judy? Judy grew quiet and still more quiet. She shut her eyes so she could not see the gathering shadows. Meg's arms were round her. Meg's cheek was on her brow. Nell was holding her hands, baby her feet. Bunty's lips were on her hair. Like that they went with her right to the great valley, where there are no lights even for stumbling childish feet. The shadows were cold and smote upon their hearts. They could feel the wind from the strange waters on their brows, but only she who was about to cross heard the low lapping of the waves. Just as her feet touched the water there was a figure in the doorway. "'Judy!' said a wild voice, and Pip brushed them aside and fell down beside her. "'Judy! Judy! Judy!' The light flickered back in her eyes. She kissed him with pale lips once, twice. She gave him both her hands and her last smile. Then the wind blew over them all, and with a little shudder she slipped away. End of chapter 21 Chapter 22 And Last She seemed a thing that could not feel the touch of earthly years. 
No motion has she now, no force, she neither hears nor sees, rolled round in earth's diurnal course with rocks and stones and trees. They went home again, the six of them, and Esther, who all her days would go the softlier, sadlier, because of the price that had been paid for the life of her little sweet son. The very air of Yarrahappany seemed to crush them and hang heavy on their souls. So when the captain, who had hurried up to see the last of his poor little girl, asked if they would like to go home, they all said yes. There was a green space of ground on a hilltop behind the cottage, and a clump of wattle trees, dark green now, but gold-crowned and gracious in the spring. This is where they left little Judy. All around it Mr. Hassel had white tall palings put. The short grave was in the shady corner of it. The place looked like a tiny churchyard in a children's country where there had been only one death, or a green fair field with one little garden bed. Meg was glad the little mound looked to the east. The suns died behind it, the orange and yellow and purple suns she could not bear to watch ever again while she lived. But away in the east they rose tenderly always, and the light crept up across the sky to the hilltop in delicate pinks and trembling blues and brightening greys, but never fiery yellow streaks that made the eyes ache with hot tears. There was a moon making it white and beautiful when they said good-bye to it on the last day. They plucked a blade or two of grass each from the fresh turfs and turned away. Nobody cried. The white stillness of the far moon and pale hanging stars, the faint wind stirring the wattles, held back their tears till they had closed the little gate behind them and left her alone on the quiet hilltop. Then they went back to Misrule, each to pick up the thread of life and go on with the weaving that must be done or hearts would break every day. Meg had grown older. She would never be quite so young again as she had been before that red sunset sank into her soul. There was a deeper light in her eyes. Such tears as she had wept clear the sight till life becomes a thing more distinct and far-reaching. Nellie and she went to church the first Sunday after their return. Aldith was a few pews away, light-souled as ever, dressed in gay attire, flashing smiling coquettish glances across to the Courtney's pew, and the Graham sitting just behind. How far away Meg had grown from her! It seemed years since she had been engrossed with the latest mode in hat-trimming, the dip of umbrella skirts, and the best method of making the hands white. Years since she had tried a trembling prentice hand at flirtations. Years almost since she had given the little blue ribbon at Yarrahappany that was doing more good than she dreamed of. Alan looked at her from his pew, the little figure in its sorrowful black, the shining hair hanging in a plait no longer frizzed at the end, the chastened droop of the young lips, the wistful sadness of the blue eyes. He could hardly realise it was the little scatterbrained girl who had written that letter and stolen away through the darkness to meet his graceless young brother. He clasped her hand when church was over, his grey eyes with the quick moisture in them, made up for the clumsy stumbling words of sympathy he tried to speak. "'Let us be friends always, Miss Meg,' he said as they parted at the misrule gate. "'Yes, let us,' said Meg. And the firm frank friendship became a beautiful thing in both their lives, strengthening Meg and making the boy gentler. Pip became his laughing, high-spirited self again, as even the most loving boy will, thanks to the merciful making of young hearts. But he used to get sudden fits of depression at times, and disappear all at once, in the midst of a game of cricket or football, or from the table when the noise was at its highest. Bunty presented to the world just as grimy a face as of old, and hands even more grubby. 
for he had taken a mechanical turn of late and spent his spare moments in manufacturing printing machines, so called, and fearful wonderful engines out of an old stove and some pots and rusty frying-pans rescued from the rubbish-heap. But he did not tell quite so many stories in these days. That deep sunset had stolen even into his young heart. And whenever he felt inclined to say, I never, twasn't me, twasn't my fault, a tangle of dark curls rose before him, just as they had lain that night when he had not dared to move his eyes away from them. Baby's legs engrossed her very much at present, for she had just been promoted from socks to stockings. And all who remember the occasion in their own lives will realise the importance of it to her. Nell seemed to grow prettier every day. Pip had his hands full with trying to keep her from growing conceited. If brotherly rubs and snubs availed anything, she ought to have been as lowly-minded as if she had had red hair and a nose of heavenward bent. Esther said she wished she could buy a few extra years, a stern brow and dignity in large quantities from some place or other. There might be some chance, then, of Misrule resuming its baptismal and unexciting name of the River House. But, oddly enough, no one echoed the wish. The captain never smoked at the end of the side veranda now. The ill-kept lawn made him see always a little figure in a pink frock and battered hat mowing the grass in a blaze of sunlight. Judy's death made his six living children dearer to his heart, though he showed his affection very little more. The general grew chubbier and more adorable every day he lived. It is no exaggeration to say they all worshipped him now in his little kingly babyhood, for the dear life had been twice given, and the second time it was Judy's gift, and priceless therefore. My pen has been moving heavily, slowly, for these last two chapters. It refuses to run lightly, freely again just yet, so I will lay it aside or I shall sadden you. Some day, if you would care to hear it, I should like to tell you of my young Australians again, slipping a little space of years. Until then, farewell and adieu. End of chapter 22 End of Seven Little Australians by Ethel Turner This recording is in the public domain.